Thomas's presents Technique with Tom. Slicing an English muffin with a butter blade? Boulder Dash. Just pull apart with your hands and marvel in the nooks and crannies splendor. For each one is unique like a snowflake. Thomas's. Huzzah! A toast to breakfast. Hi, everybody. Good Tuesday morning. It is a happy one for families of those Americans just freed from Iran. Yeah, their plane touching down in the U.S. just moments ago. Good morning. It's September 19th. This is Today. Homecoming. Five Americans imprisoned in Iran back on U.S. soil for the first time in years. The joyful reunions and the growing controversy over the deal to secure their freedom. The latest example of President Biden rewarding and incentivizing Tehran's bad behavior. Where they are live with the very latest. Front and center, President Biden is set to give a closely watched speech at the United Nations this morning. The message he plans to deliver to Russia and the world and why some key leaders will not be there to hear it. Lost and found, that fighter jet missing for hours over South Carolina after its pilot ejected, finally located. I said, the plane is mighty low. Now I heard, boom. How did the military lose track of a $100 million plane for so long? We'll take you inside that investigation. Surprise guest, parts of Disney World shut down after a wild bear snuck into the Magic Kingdom inside the commotion it caused. Those stories plus, leave us alone. This is insane. The beauty of fall foliage leading to an ugly feud in New England. How residents in one town fed up with the crowds are now fighting back. Today, Tuesday, September 19th, 2023. From NBC News, this is Today with Savannah Guthrie and Hoda Cuffey. Live from Studio 1A in Rockefeller Plaza. Good morning. Welcome to today. We're so happy you're with us on a Tuesday morning. We're going to get right to our top stories and images just coming in at this moment. This video, Justin, uh, five American prisoners released by Iran landing at a U.S. military base in Virginia, running into the arms of loved ones. Well, that's a good, that's a beautiful image. What a moment. Mm-hmm. They traveled from Tehran, where they had been imprisoned for years, to Qatar yesterday and then made this 14-plus-hour trip home. And they are on U.S. soil this morning. Their arrival does not come without scrutiny over the deal that got them here. It included opening up $6 billion frozen under sanctions. The U.S. says that money can only be used for items like food and medicine. The Iranian government saying they will decide how it's spent. NBC senior White House correspondent Gabe Gutierrez is at Fort Belvoir in Virginia with the very latest. Hey, Gabe, good morning. Hey, Hoda, good morning. Those American citizens touched down here at Fort Belvoir just a short time ago. And just a few minutes ago, we got those first images that you just showed, that incredible reunion, hugging family members who met them there on the tarmac carrying small American flags. It's a bit chilly here in Virginia this morning, but that was quickly forgotten. Just look at those warm embraces. This was the morning that those families had been waiting for. Overnight, five Americans locked up for years in Iran, finally free. A long journey home for the U.S. citizens after years of delicate negotiations for their release. As far as we know, they're all in relatively good health. The prisoners first boarded a charter plane in Tehran, then hours later landed in Doha. Some of them seemed smiling. 
three of them, all dual Iranian-American citizens, sharing an embrace as they walked into the terminal. The other two Americans have asked for privacy and have not been identified. I spoke to them after they landed in Doha. Um, I can tell you that uh, it was uh, for them, uh, for me, an emotional uh, conversation. Siamak Namazi, who the U.S. says was arrested on false espionage charges, writing, For almost eight years, I have been dreaming of this day, adding he can't wait to get to an Apple store. I am dying to find out what gadgets now exist. He's missed eight years of the most productive years of his life. He wants to be married. He wants to have kids. Still, the swap is controversial. In addition to the U.S. and Iran exchanging five prisoners, the Biden administration also unlocking $6 billion in Iranian money frozen by U.S. sanctions. The White House says Iran can only use it for things like food and medicine, with U.S. officials approving each transaction. But Iran's president told NBC's Lester Holt last week, We will decide, the Islamic Republic of Iran will decide to, exp- to spend it wherever... Yeah, we need it. Republicans arguing the money was essentially a ransom. Unfortunately, the deal that secured their release may very well be the latest example of President Biden rewarding and incentivizing Tehran's bad behavior. So, Gabe, they're on U.S. soil. What happens next for the Americans? Well, Hoda, those Americans will undergo uh, both psychological and physical checks before heading on to their next locations and heading home with their families. But as we look at that new video once again of that reunion this morning, the Biden administration is stressing that those six billion dollars in unfrozen funds, that they're not U.S. taxpayer money, that the money initially that originally belonged to Iran. And the White House is also slapping new sanctions on Iran after the presumed death of a former FBI agent in Iranian custody. But again, the focus this morning is on that reunion, that emotional reunion, those five Americans back here on U.S. soil. Yeah, glad they're home safe. All right, Gabe Gutierrez in Fort Belvoir for us. Gabe, thank you. President Biden is delivering a high-profile speech at the U.N. General Assembly this morning where world leaders are confronting a number of challenges, including Russia's war and climate change. NBC's Chief White House Correspondent Peter Alexander is here in New York as well, traveling with the president. So what do you expect to the, the focus to be this morning. Well, nice to see you both in person. The president certainly is going to be outlining these global challenges and how he plans to tackle them. And right now, there are certainly a lot of those challenges. First and foremost, of course, is Ukraine, that war now in its 19th month. But that's not the only one. You've got food insecurity. Food prices have spiked worldwide, largely as a function of this war, record temperatures and climate change. But in many ways for the president, his aides say this is an opportunity to speak to the world and to speak to those developing nations that the U.S. is trying to influence right now. Notably absent this year, President Xi of China, President Vladimir Putin of Russia as well. But who will be there is President Volodymyr Zelensky. This is the first time that he's going to be appearing in person before the United Nations General Assembly. He's going to be making the case to the world community that Ukraine on the front lines of the fight for democracy needs more funding from the West, more funding from the United States. And then he heads down to Washington, D.C. on Thursday, where he is going to meet with President Biden at the White House, making the
making the case to the president and to Congress for more Monday, uh, more money. And it's important because a lot of Republicans are skeptical of sending more money to Ukraine right now. And frankly, a majority of Americans interest has waned in this war. Now, a majority of Americans oppose sending additional funding to Ukraine. The ones who've got a tough sell with the U.S. Congress, but also with the U.N. A lot of those developing countries are saying all of this funding going to Ukraine means we're not getting the funding we need for our issues. Let's talk about President Biden. Uh, He's obviously running for re-election and was at a fundraiser, I believe, and had some revealing comments actually last night. Yeah, that's right. He was here in New York City ahead of his remarks, the speech to take place today. And what has been one of the biggest political liabilities, of course, for this president is his age. He will be 81 years old in just two months. But last night he has said he is he said he is more optimistic about the future of this country than he has been in the 800 years that he has served. That got some laughs, laughs a little self-deprecation to try to deal with what has been a political challenge for him. But he also had some of his toughest, his sharpest language since that NBC News exclusive with Kristen Welker, where she spoke uh, to former President Donald Trump, saying, among other things, that Trump and his allies are likely to side with dictators like Vladimir Putin. And then he said the following, Donald Trump and his MAGA Republicans are determined to destroy democracy. Those are the terms that the president sees the 2024 fight and expect to hear that language again. All right, Peter, we'll be seeing you this week. Thank you so much. A programming note tomorrow on today, we will be sitting down with Secretary of State Antony Blinken when he joins us right here in Studio 1A. Meantime, the search for one of the most sophisticated aircraft in the U.S. military is over. But the questions are just beginning. It all began on Sunday when a pilot safely ejected from an F-35 over South Carolina. But the stealth jet kept flying on autopilot until it eventually crashed. NBC's Sam Brock is in Williamsburg uh, County, South Carolina, where the plane went down. Hey, Sam, good morning. Hoda, good morning. The sun is still coming up here in Indian Town, but the situation is still very much shrouded in darkness. Behind me is a military barricade that you can see. It's not clear, Hoda, exactly how far beyond this point the debris field actually sits. But what we do know is that this aircraft did not land in one of the several area lakes that many had speculated. Now the investigation ramping up into how the military lost a $100 million fighter jet for 24 hours. A high-level mystery this morning in South Carolina's low country. A $100 million F-35 fighter jet missing for a day. Eventually found last night where it apparently crashed in this rural area, according to the military, two hours northeast from Joint Base Charleston. One resident thinks he heard it go down. And I heard a plane coming across. I said, the plane is mighty low. And I heard it, boom. Others like Vanessa Presley trying to get a read on how this search went off the radar. Are people here talking about how strange it is that a fighter jet disappeared for 24 yes, hours? Yes, yes, especially to cost that much amount of money. Yeah, <laughs> that's just something that happened every day. The stealth aircraft went missing after the pilot and only person on board was forced to eject on Sunday. The military base making a plea to the public. If you have any information that may help our recovery teams locate the F-35, please call the Base Defense Operations Center. But how details of this mishap were communicated, not sitting well with Area Congresswoman Nancy Mace. Frustrated would be an understatement right now because our, our community deserves basic minimum answers. So far, neither Joint Base Charleston nor the 2nd Marine Aircraft Wing, where the jet is part of the training squadron, are commenting on what might have caused the unexplained series of events. The FAA is also not responding to our request for comment, but is working with the military, local and state law enforcement, and the Civil Air Patrol.
In the wake of this incident and two deadly crashes involving Marine Corps aircraft in the last month, the acting commandant ordering a safety stand-down of all Marine Corps aircraft for two days this week. NBC News aviation analyst Jeff Gazzetti says there's at least one crucial resource for getting some answers. We have a, a living pilot, a living witness uh, to tell us what happened, and I'm sure he's already told their story to the investigative team. It's our most advanced jet in this country, and we need to find out what went wrong. This is so uh, puzzling, Sam. I mean, you're talking about a $100 million jet with all the bells and whistles, obviously. But was there no way, no tracking system within it? Yeah, so Hoda, here's the issue. Under normal circumstances, investigators would be looking at the transponder on the aircraft to locate it. But the spokesperson for Joint Base Charleston says that that transponder was not working, quote, for reasons we have not determined. So was it compromised when the pilot ejected? Did it not work the entire time? We have no idea at this point. But also our analyst, aviation analyst, says it is entirely possible the military had some idea of where this jet actually did crash, but put out that call for information either because of errant debris or to try to to piece together information from the public as to what might have happened here. Yeah. All right, a lot to unpack there. All right, Sam, thank you so much. Now to that unprecedented strike by United Auto Workers against all three of Detroit's biggest car makers. It is entering day five after negotiations so far have failed to produce a deal. And now the union is threatening to expand the walkout. If significant progress cannot be reached, NBC's Maggie Vespa joins us from the Ford plant in Wayne, Michigan. So let's start right there, Maggie. Where do negotiations stand? Yes, yeah, so Savannah, in short, I mean, the stalemate continues. After revived talks, as you know, stalled between both sides, it turns out more workers may be joining this strike, joining this picket line that, as you said, right now is on day five. The UAW overnight basically ramping up pressure with President, uh, Union President Sean Fain saying in a new video that unless there's, quote, serious progress by noon Friday, more local chapters will be called to walk out, adding, quote, we're not messing around. And this morning, Ford is also responding to that video saying they're working on contingency plans in the event of more walkouts to basically keep Ford cars on the road. And it's also worth noting, you might have seen headlines overnight, auto workers at Ford's Canadian plants nearly also went on strike, but that was actually temporarily averted after the union said they received, quote, a substantive offer before that deadline. But that's something else that we're watching this morning, Savannah. And if this drags on, Maggie, consumers will start to feel it. Yeah, so Savannah, some experts say this actually could take several weeks before the American public really starts to feel the effects of this strike. And as Ford mentioned, again, they're making plans to keep their cars on the road, try to mitigate a lot of those impacts. But it's worth noting, again, if it expands, UAW's president warning, again, that could happen. Those effects could start to be felt much sooner. Experts predicting, for instance, car prices could very well go up. Parts could be harder to find for a lot of people. And then in the meantime, to kind of quantify a lot of this, we're getting an idea of the estimated cost of this strike. Goldman Sachs estimating that both GM and Ford could lose, basically each lose, between $100 and $125 million per week, assuming this continues. Savannah. All right, Maggie Vespa, thank you. Meantime, we are learning more this morning about the suspect arrested in the ambush-style killing of a Los Angeles County Sheriff's deputy. The 29-year-old taken into custody following a standoff. NBC's Dana Griffin is following that story for us. Hey, Dana, good morning. 
Dakota, good morning. Some 36 hours after the murder of Deputy Ryan Klinkenbrumer, authorities were able to make an arrest. Officials say a vehicle captured on surveillance cameras was found outside the suspect's home, and information from the public helped lead them there. After an hours-long standoff, the L.A. County Sheriff says SWAT team members took 29-year-old Kevin Cataneo Salazar into custody early Monday morning. Sheriff Robert Luna praising deputies for de-escalating the situation. He never gave our deputy a chance, but yet our men and women gave this individual a chance to take him into custody peacefully. Cataneo Salazar had been living with his parents less than five miles from the Palmdale Sheriff's Station. His family says Cataneo Salazar suffered from schizophrenia and had been placed on multiple 72-hour psychiatric holds. When he had his episodes, we would call cops. Cops came to the house. They should have it on the file that, that he was sick. He was mentally ill. He heard voices. Cataneo Salazar's mother and sister say they feel for the family of the slain deputy. I am so sorry for the family. I don't wish no, no pain Nothing. I mean, if I could just wake up and say it was all a dream for the family as well as for us, I wish I could do this. 30-year-old Deputy Ryan Klinkenbrumer was shot and killed Saturday as he pulled up to a red light in his patrol vehicle. Surveillance video from the sheriff's station's own camera capturing the moment the suspect vehicle stops next to the officers, then takes off. Deputy Klinkenbrumer engaged to be married just days ago leaves behind a grieving family and a department mourning his loss. Ryan's family will never see him again. Authorities have not suggested a motive. Is there anything about him or that you've discovered as to why this happened? That's what, that's the million dollar question. Everybody wants to know why would somebody do something this horrible and we intend to find out. The sheriff says a number of firearms were found at the suspect's house, but did not elaborate on the weapon used to kill Deputy Klinkenbrumer. When I spoke with the suspect's family, they weren't able to say how he was able to get access to a gun. That's going to be the focus of the investigation going forward. Hoda. All right, Dana, thank you so much for that report. Who out over there? It's Dylan in for Al. Hello. It's just me, a little less exciting. We uh, had that rain yesterday. You know, it just lingered all day long. Well, that storm system now up across New England, bringing some of the heavier rain across western Maine. So that storm will exit today, and then we're going to watch out for some stronger storms right through the Plain States, and there's a chance we could see very large hail, perhaps up to baseball-sized hail, including cities like Oklahoma City and down into Wichita Falls. We're also looking for a lot of heavy rain. We could see as much as four to six inches over the course of this afternoon and evening in that same part of the country. And that's your latest forecast. All right, Dylan, thank you. Coming up, an unexpected visitor forces Disney World to shut down some of its most popular rides. So how did a real-life bear manage to get inside the Magic Kingdom? Where they're alive. All right, and then it is that time of year again, leaf peeping season. Did you know that's what it peeping? People say leaf sounds, peeping. Leaf peepers. Yes. Oh, yeah, sounds weird. <laughs> well, it's a little controversial in one town, a popular spot in New England. They're saying um, it's not the welcome mat they're yeah. rolling out. Can we just say that? But first, this is today on NBC.
I won't let my moderate to severe plaque psoriasis symptoms define me. Emerge as you. In two clinical studies, Trimphia guselcumab, taken by injection, provided 90% clear skin at 16 weeks in 7 out of 10 adults with moderate to severe plaque psoriasis. In a study, nearly 7 out of 10 patients with 90% clear skin at 16 weeks were still clear at 5 years. At one year and thereafter, patients and healthcare providers knew that Tremphia was being used. This may have increased results. Results may vary. Serious allergic reactions may occur. Tremphia may increase your risk of infections and lower your ability to fight them. Before treatment, your doctor should check you for infections and tuberculosis. Tell your doctor if you have an infection or symptoms of infection, including fever, sweats, chills, muscle aches, or cough. Tell your doctor if you had a vaccine or plan to. Emerge as you. Learn more about Tremphia, including important safety information at Tremphia.com or call 1-877-578-3527. See our ad in Food & Wine magazine. For patients prescribed Tremphia, cost support may be available. Oh, you can see that baby is so excited. Oh, yes, that's right, Boo Boo. Kelly Clarkson is coming on Friday. Great crowd out here on the plaza, but you know what? what? We're going to have even more people out there. We haven't had Kelly on the plaza in a long in time. In a long time. I can't, she's going to rock it, too. People are going to be flocking to see her. We cannot wait tomorrow. Yes, uh, Friday, actually. Uh, Friday. Yes, okay. I know. Friday. <laughs> Meanwhile, Craig's on assignment. Hoda, we got a busy half hour ahead, starting with a pretty unexpected surprise at Disney World. This is a weird one. Somehow a black bear managed to find her way into the crowded park. It created some chaos before she was safely captured and removed. NBC's Guad Venegas is in Orlando with details on this one. Hey, Guad, good morning. Hey guys, good morning. It was quite a day here where they do have animals and magical creatures, especially with that show, The Country Bear Jamboree, where they have the bear animatronics. Now, people, when this news first broke out on social media, some thought that it was actually a play on words talking about those bears only to be surprised. And when they found out that it was, in fact, a real bear, which was the reason why they had to partially shut it down. This was no lovable Disney character taking a stroll in the park. Instead, a real-life bear was spotted Monday inside the Magic Kingdom, the wild animal forcing a temporary shutdown of parts of the theme park, including some of Disney's most popular areas, Frontierland, Liberty Square, and Adventureland, which all reopened in the early afternoon, according to a Disney World statement. From above, this exclusive video from our NBC affiliate, Wesh, appears to show state wildlife officials capturing the female bear. With fall just days away, experts say the animal could have been in search of the bear necessities. The Florida Fish and Wildlife Conservation Commission telling NBC News in a statement the Magic Kingdom bear was likely moving through the area searching for food. Well, bears are very opportunistic feeders. They follow their nose. The Magic Kingdom is a, you know, a potpourri of aromas of food. Florida is not only home to bears, but other potentially dangerous wildlife, especially alligators. In 2016, a two-year-old boy from Nebraska drowned after he was dragged into a body of water by an alligator while playing in the Seven Seas Lagoon at Disney's Grand Floridian Resort. The park ultimately closing all beaches and adding warning signs and barriers around waterfront areas across its resort. In the five years since the deadly incident, wildlife officials have removed 250 alligators from Walt Disney World property, and while attacks by bears are rare, wildlife experts say it's best not to panic if you encounter one. If you come across a bear, the worst thing you can do is turn and run. Never turn and run and scream. Put your arms up, make yourself look as big as possible, speak firmly, hey bear, 
Hey, bear, slowly back up. Don't run at the bear or anything like that. Good advice to keep in mind. Now, the Fish and Wildlife Commission tells us usually when this happens, they let the bear make its way through. Of course, they had to intervene because of this location. The expert also telling us he wasn't surprised because of this incident with so many bears in the wild in Florida. And you hear him talk about the aroma of the food at the park. I think we've all experienced that when we go to Disney World. You walk inside and the first thing you smell is the food coming from all directions, right, Hoda? Yeah, we can see how the bear was attracted to all that. All right, uh, Guad Venegas in Orlando. Guad, thanks. Bears, they're just like us, right? Guys, just ahead, and I'm sure they're very fascinated by that bear story. Special (laughs) guests here in our studio, Ambassador Caroline Kennedy, your son Jack Schlossberg. They are here to reveal this year's Profile Encourage recipients. But first, Kristen Dahlgren is taking us inside the feud over fall foliage, pitting some New Englanders against some tourists. What are they talking about? That's right, guys. I've got my perfect fall jacket. I am ready for my close-up, but we'll tell you why I won't be able to get this iconic selfie when the leaves change. That's coming up. I won't let my moderate to severe plaque psoriasis symptoms define me. Emerge as you. In two clinical studies, Trimphia guselcumab, taken by injection, provided 90% clearer skin at 16 weeks in 7 out of 10 adults with moderate to severe plaque psoriasis. In a study, nearly 7 out of 10 patients with 90% clearer skin at 16 weeks were still clearer at 5 years. At one year and thereafter, patients and healthcare providers knew that Trimphia was being used. This may have increased results. Results may vary. Serious allergic reactions may occur. Trimphia may increase your risk of infections and lower your ability to fight them. Before treatment, your doctor should check you for infections and tuberculosis. Tell your doctor if you have an infection or symptoms of infection, including fever, sweats, chills, muscle aches, or cough. Tell your doctor if you had a vaccine or plan to. Emerge as you. Learn more about Tremphia, including important safety information, at Tremphia.com or call 1-877-578-3527. See our ad in Food & Wine magazine. For patients prescribed Tremphia, cost support may be available. We're back 739. This is Stratton, Vermont. And with it, one of the season's most popular activities. We're talking about leaf peeping. Leaf peeping, that's what they call it in the Northeast. Tourists will soon be heading out to gaze the fall foliage. So why are residents in one New England town, known for its spectacular views, taking a stand against the leaf peepers? NBC's Kristen Dahlgren is in Vermont with that story. Kristen, good morning. Hey, good morning to you guys. Take a look. Does this look familiar here? This, I'm told, is one of the most photographed spots in Vermont. But in another four days, we wouldn't be able to give you this view. The road will shut down to tourists after neighbors say things have gotten way out of hand. You've probably seen Sleepy Hollow Farm on Instagram or TikTok. When the leaves change, this quaint little spot rivals Grand Central Station. This is insane. Hundreds of cars line the narrow road, trying to get that perfect pick. Problem is, it's not an actual tourist destination, but somebody's private residence with real-life neighbors. People showing up and walking all over private property and peeing on the side of the road and on private property. Neighbors like Mike Doton and Amy Robb say it's out of control. We see people in dressing rooms, like they bring dressing rooms to change in different outfits and take pictures. And it's not just privacy, it's safety, too. Emergency vehicles often forced to wait in the traffic. 
So this year, neighbors petitioned to close the road to outside traffic from September 23rd to October 15th, raising the money themselves to cover most of the costs. Yes, it's beautiful up here, but please, um, could you make it so that our everyday stuff can get done? Like, I'm just trying to get home with groceries so I can make it. Okay. It's not only New England towns pushing back against tourists looking for likes. Across the pond in Europe, Hallstatt, Austria, which resembles Arendelle in the Disney movie Frozen, sees more than a million tourists each year. Now its 750 residents have blocked the only road in. Venice just approved a new 5-euro tax on day-trippers. And also in Italy, Portofino is issuing $300 tickets for lingering in popular selfie spots. Back in Vermont, townspeople say the latest move doesn't mean you won't get a spectacular selfie. So this is not the only place where you can see beautiful foliage. Uh, Absolutely not. You could actually just drive up 89, which is our north-south throughway, and have a beautiful drive. Vermont's kind of pretty. It is. We're pretty lucky. Now, we did reach out to the owners and didn't hear back. The neighbors said it was okay for us to set up here today. They say it's really just a problem during peak foliage season. Last year, they tried to make it a one-way street so people could still come by, but they said that was still unsafe for them. And they said it also just comes down to common human decency and treating this place and the neighbors with respect, guys. I get it. Kristen, Mm -hmm. thank you so much. What? No, I mean... You're right. You you did go to see the leaves. Yeah, not sometimes yourself in front of the leaves. <laughs> yeah, selfie. Yeah. Take a leafy, not Take a, a leafy. selfie. That's it. Okay, and then move it on out. Right, right. Dilly? I love the advice. Just drive on the highway. You'll see the same thing. Yeah. yeah. You know, it's just Take a picture beautiful. with your mind. Exactly. Yeah. Make a memory. So do you guys want to know what makes perfect foliage? Yeah, of you know, as we get into this fall foliage season, well, you need warm days, mild days, and cool nights. That gives the ideal color. Uh, and as the temperatures stay warmer and warmer, it just makes for a much shorter season. But typically, across uh, the upper Midwest and up across northern New England, late September is when you start to get into that peak fall foliage, and then it continues to settle uh, more southward by the time we get to November. Now, temperatures like this, Pierre, South Dakota at 90 degrees, Minneapolis at 82 that's a little warm for ideal conditions. So the season could be delayed just a little bit with temperatures running about 10 to 15, even 20 degrees above average. Tomorrow, we're looking for that warm air to stick around Minneapolis. In fact, even warmer, 86 degrees for a high tomorrow, Chicago, 82. And as we go through the next several days up into the weekend, it's really going to stay above average. Cincinnati stays in the low to mid 80s, Washington, 82 by Thursday. But by Saturday, we should settle back down to about 73 degrees, which is more typical for this time of year. Let's look at the weather across the country now here. And that's your latest forecast. All right, Dylan, Dylan. thank you. Still ahead, a game changer for people with severe allergies. If you or your kids carry those EpiPens, Mm -hmm. there's about to be a new and much easier treatment option. We'll have everything you need to know. Plus, Prince William wading into a New York City adventure. And there's an important message behind the Royals tour. We've got Keir Simmons with that coming up after this. Morning, guys. Britain's Prince William is in town of a whirlwind tour of New York City, and Keir Simmons has followed him all the way here. Hi, Keir. Hi, Keir. Oh, that's a good Hey, guys, listen. I'm no New Yorker, right? You can tell from the accent, but I'm pretty confident that there are many New Yorkers who would not wade into the Hudson River the way you're about to see Prince William did. He's here to add a little star power to the UN General Assembly's focus on climate change. And yesterday, he went to see a project that we here at Today have focused on early on. 
The Prince of Wales taking the Big Apple by storm on a two-day solo excursion with his focus on climate change. He made a stop at the United Nations, meeting with Secretary General Antonio Guterres. Hours earlier, Prince William touched down on Governor's Island, experiencing the work of the Billion Oysters Project from the lens of a volunteer. It's the first time Prince William has been to New York in almost a decade. He touched down a few hours ago and got straight down to work. Prince William touring the group's facility on Governor's Island and harvesting oysters with children from Brooklyn's Harbour Middle School. What did he ask you? He asked us about how um, oysters were formed and about what happened in the New York Harbour. Yeah. Yeah, and like the creatures, about the creatures that live there. He was really interested in everything. We were there with him as he took to a boat for a closer look with Billion Oyster Project co-founder Peter Malinowski. I think his presence is a sign of his enthusiasm for it. The program, which has engaged more than 100,000 volunteers, has restored over 130 million oysters in New York Harbour, helping to improve water filtration and benefiting the surrounding ecosystem. Malinowski telling me the Prince's visit Monday has been meaningful. It's hugely important to shine a light on the people who are doing good work and the projects that are doing good work. And so we really appreciate the Prince coming to do that. But catching the attention of royalty is just the beginning for this organization that hopes to restore a billion oysters by 2035. This is the first time Prince William has learned about the Billion Oyster Project. Today, viewers, of course, know all about it. All right, y'all ready? Last year, the Today Show team volunteered on oyster reefs with the programme. With more stops planned this morning, the Prince of Wales already demonstrating he's all hands on deck when it comes to fighting climate change. And today, Prince William will bring his Earthshot prize uh, here to New York. And Hoda, how about this for a boost? I love this quote. He says, no one does optimism and ingenuity like the American people. Coming up, your 8 o'clock hour. I won't let my moderate to severe plaque psoriasis symptoms define me. Emerge as you. In two clinical studies, Trimphia guselcumab, taken by injection, provided 90% clear skin at 16 weeks in 7 out of 10 adults with moderate to severe plaque psoriasis. In a study, nearly 7 out of 10 patients with 90% clear skin at 16 weeks were still clearer at 5 years. At one year and thereafter, patients and healthcare providers knew that Trimphia was being used. This may have increased results. Results may vary. Serious allergic reactions may occur. Trimphia may increase your risk of infections and lower your ability to fight them. Before treatment, your doctor should check you for infections and tuberculosis. Tell your doctor if you have an infection or symptoms of infection, including fever, sweats, chills, muscle legs, or cough. Tell your doctor if you had a vaccine or plan to. Emerge as you. Learn more about Tremphia, including important safety information, at Tremphia.com or call 1-877-578-3527. See our ad in Food & Wine magazine. For patients prescribed Tremphia, cost support may be available. Tremphia. 